This is Kerry Watt. You are tuned into Neptune's Talker, the podcast where I talk to some of the creatives behind my debut album, Neptune's Daughter. And today I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Gregor Philp. Welcome, Hi. Gregor. I'm really pleased to be on uh, Neptune's Talker. That's the first time I've heard that title. That's really cool. Well done. <laughs> yes. Hello, Kerry. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. You are a fun guest to have because you are involved in three tracks of the album. So we've got loads to talk about. Yeah. Great. I'm very pleased to. I was very honoured that all that stuff made it, you know. Um, it's, a, it's a funny old process, isn't it? Anyway, carry on. Yes. Well, I thought before we got into the album, we'd talk a bit about you. Introduce Gregor Philp right. to the listener. Okay. Well, I know you came from a family... That was a musical. Your parents both played instruments, right? Your mum, piano? Yes. And your dad, guitar? Yes. So you grew up in a house full of music? Absolutely. A house full of music. Of course, when you grow up in certain households, you don't really know that you're growing up in a certain household. But of course, because it's just your your uh, life, you don't, you don't give it a second thought. So my parents weren't professional musicians, but really my mum was a beautiful piano player and I and, and in hindsight she composed her own things that we just thought were we thought were beautiful lyrical classical things but they were hers in hindsight we didn't know that which is terrible but uh, and then dad was a really good sort of storyteller folk guy from the kind of folk revival of the 50s and he 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 was you know very active in sing songs and things like that and the thing I noticed about my dad, which I've, I've, I seem to, have, I think I've taken with me, is he, when he did, a, when it was his turn to do a song, uh, a folk song of, of some kind, um, everybody shut up and listen. Not because he was absolutely brilliant, because he wasn't, but because he told the story, he, he, was a, he was aware of the lyrics as he was saying them, which seems quite basic, but most of the time with the sing-song things, which are great, of course, it was just like make a noise, you know? Uh, make the sounds, but people really got drawn into his to, uh, his thing, and I remember thinking, "That's great." So yeah, that was that's my early kind of childhood in music, and of course their influences of all sorts of things from the folk stuff to Mum loving Joni Mitchell and having all her records, and many other things. The Who and oh god, you know it goes on. And then you kind of have had lots of twists and turns in music you went to london to be a session player for a while ended up coming back here work on film and tv now you play with deacon blue yeah uh, yeah it's it's uh, pretty tortuous but uh, we, we, i think you'll find when you talk to people their uh, journeys with music which is what we know about um are never the same it's a funny path you take um and really, the only thing I actually remember uh, doing with music positively was practicing a lot and and wanting to become uh, a you know a really good guitarist and all that kind of thing. You know, it didn't necessarily happen, but I basically just um, practiced a lot and then thought, well, 
Uh, and you know, sometimes people ask, so how do you, you know, what made you go into music and, and stuff like that? And I have to say, again, I find when I talk to a lot of people about music, it kind of, it sounds cliched, but I think it's true. It chooses you. You really have no choice. There, there, is, there is no conscious choice. I mean, there must be. It's, it's, some people must have a conscious choice. I'm going to be in music. And that's that's totally fair enough. I'm just saying that I, I it just, that's what, that's what I could do best. I couldn't do anything better than that. That didn't mean to say I was amazing at it. It just meant that, that I was definitely better at that than anything else. So then... Uh, yeah, I went to London. I played in bands very early, from quite an early age, uh, in uh, like clubs and pubs in Dundee, uh, earning my first bits of money doing that, and that was of course a massive eye opener. Uh, and um, then, you know, I think the first club gig I I did was, you know, uh, there was a huge, massive battle all all around me, and I thought, wow, this is the way it goes. Um, and um, then I think I was always writing songs. I was in I was in a band with my best pals, and we we wrote songs. We were really young and daft. And um, then I thought, no, I, I could maybe be a session guy. I went down to London, did nothing really. I just I just worked to to survive. I didn't do any music. I had to come back to Dundee really to do music again, and slowly, uh, slowly played you know played every weekend. And then um, got in a band, or got in with guys, uh, the, the guys from um, Danny Wilson, who were a eighties band. They had a big hit with Mary's Prayer, and I and I hooked up with uh, a very talented songwriter, Kit Clark, who was one of the three guys in in um, in uh, Danny Wilson. And it, we had a band called Swiss Family Orbison. It was very creative. It taught me m- much more about actually songwriting because the two songwriters in that were extremely good and to the point type of songwriters that, that I learnt a lot from, and they generously let me join in. And uh, from there, it was uh, yeah, I just sort of directly after that, I was always playing else, you know, in, in various other projects. But then I, en- I ended up for about ten years. I did TV, music, films, games. You know, really quite quite high end stuff for ten years, and that taught me about computer music and production and orchestration, and because you had to you had to be many things to many people. You had to be you know play all sorts of different types of music. Yeah, and you were able to work on all those kind of projects from your home studio. I I was yeah I I, I, I my, my dad lent me some money and I, I uh, not much but you know I just enough to get an Atari computer which is quite a typical story back in the kind of 90s. Um, an Atari computer, that computer had was, the only, was, not, was one of the only computers that had a MIDI in and out on it, so you could just plonk it down, get Cubase or something, and sequence music. I had an archive sampler and a, a wee rolling digital recorder, and that was enough. I, I created all sorts of stuff on that. That's um, so cool. Yeah, uh, and then it, it just kind of, it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. And you you still live in Dundee and there's an incredible music scene there. There's loads of songwriters, loads of stuff going on, isn't there? Well, I I I like to think so, but then of course I'm I, I'm I'm uh, quite biased, but I still get quite surprised. Yeah. Uh, with w- with what goes on here sometimes under our noses, you know, for instance my next door neighbor who's a pal of mine, a guy called Paul Smanitsky, he used to be the head of 
universal music. Wow. You know, digital division or something like that in, in London. And he kind of got sick of that and, and moved back. And he's like a, a successful manager and music chap. Uh, and he told me that there's another uh, girl who's just moved back. She went, I think she, she left Dundee when she was 18, became a hugely successful music business person. I don't really know what she does, but I know I know it's pretty huge. Now she's back in Dundee. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying it's the the centre of the universe, but it's, I'm just saying that it's surprising. There's, there's, there's quite a lot of folk. Yeah. I played some of my favourite gigs in Dundee. Um, Fat Sam's. And we're, we met at a gig in Dundee. I remember it extremely well, and it was very serendipitous. And if you think, uh, Kerry, if you really think about those sorts of things, they're very... They're very ordinary, and then all of a sudden, here we are on a podcast talking about your amazing new album. Yeah, three years later. Do you not think it's just quite, it, it really is random? It is. I think that's what I love about working in music so much, working in entertainment, is that you can go to your job and strike up a conversation with a total stranger, and you have no idea where that's going to lead, or who that person is, or what connection you might make. Yeah. And we obviously went on to have a really exciting co-writing. It's one of the it's one of the, the best, most enjoyable things I've done is is writing with you, Kerry. I have to say, and from that, I mean, you just were doing a, a wee acoustic gig in in uh, a bar in in Dundee. I happened to go along uh, because, oh, I don't know. I think it was uh, Stuart from PRS had maybe said. Gregor, do you fancy coming along? Um, oh, that's right. He was there. Ah. Yeah, Stuart Fleming from he's the Scottish guy for PRS. PRS being the Performance uh, Right Society. Right Society. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and um, there, so I just I just asked my pal along, who happens happened to be you know an amazing songwriter and producer, uh, and we both watched you, and I just thought, why not? So I said, well, let's just exchange emails. Not thinking anything of it. And of course you went, yeah, let's do it. And you came over <laughs> here. To the studio. And we just started rattling through songs for some reason. I mean, you know, it was it was a great, it was a, a really, I don't know. In fact, I, I'm going to ask you how you, do you, do you find generally, I mean, it could be just that it is your attitude and great creativity and work ethic that you can, work quite focused and quite quickly and you know and and move on as you don't get too stuck on things it's quite interesting i mean do you find that that's a generally that's generally your process i think it definitely does depend who i'm working with i try with anyone if i feel like we're getting stuck i'm like we need to move past this we can come back to it because i know from my early days of co-writing when i was living down in london and i was doing sessions every day and you know these Mm -hmm. uh, working with different producers and all these different studios you can you can get too in your own head when you're in these tiny little spaces and it's just all this focus on the music and it's a lot of pressure and I mean, you could spend three hours trying to think of the right word. So I learned how to move past that. But I think a lot of it is kind of the environment you're in and what I think was really exciting for me coming to work with you is I'd actually just moved back to Scotland at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was finally out of that crazy music industry bubble that I'd been in in London. 
And to just be able to do that gorgeous drive from my house up to yours, which is stunning. Yeah. And and just come and hang out and have sandwiches with you and your family yeah. and just sit there and <laughs> I know. you know, strum some guitar. It was like no pressure. Just no. I don't know, it just felt like a fun trip really. Yeah, and uh, I, I like to think of it. Uh, that's what I like to do. I mean, it's not always possible, but, uh, you know, I like to say, look, let's just be creative because there is uh, pressure when you say when you say things like, right, okay, uh, the brief is it's got to be absolutely brilliant and also it's got to be number one in the charts, uh, you know, or even higher, you know, or that, that kind of thing, which if you're... In a, the milieu of the music business, if, if uh, managers or record people are saying to you, no, it needs to be like that, blah, 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 it, it can become uh, a pressure. But actually, funnily enough, the, the, I think the muse, whatever that may be, comes from you not really knowing what you're doing. Some, some, somewhere in the subconscious things are happening. Yeah. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's what we had because, you know, I had no idea where any of it was going to go. I just I just liked, I just really liked what we did. So, I mean, surely that's enough. Absolutely. I think that's maybe why so much great music comes out of Nashville. You and I have both been there. You and I mm-hmm. both worked with my last episode guest, Jeff Cohen. And the vibe out there, I was kind of expecting to go out there and, you know, there's all these studios in a row and feeling it might be a bit of pressure. But I just found everyone I worked with out there is, very relaxed it's like oh turn up we'll go for some lunch coffee write for a couple of hours it wasn't like let's lock ourselves in a room for nine hours and not leave till we till we find something so the 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 logic of that is they must know what they're doing because of all the towns and city or cities in the world you you would describe nashville as a songwriting a professional songwriting town i mean you could say Bigger stuff comes out of LA, New York, whatever. But actually, I think per capita, I don't, I don't know what you think. I think that there's more songwriters making a living every day in Nashville. You know, probably thousands. And that just that you know that that doesn't happen everywhere. So they must know uh, that the the sort of regimented thing doesn't work. So even though they may have five sessions a week, maybe even sometimes two a day that they do. Um, they know to just chill out and uh, they're basically great at what they do so they're only really interested in the result and if the result means let's go for lunch then you know that's what they do yeah yeah so I think actually a little bit there is that vibe in in Scotland too I've apart from you I've mostly worked with songwriters in Glasgow but it's kind of a bit more relaxed here and yeah. yeah, I think that is kind of the success of our songwriting together, apart from the fact that we're both a bit weird and just kind of, you know, ran with each other's ideas, like oh, yeah. so, some of the lyrics in um, All the Worst for Me. People always ask me, how did you write those? And I, I'm like, I don't know, Gregor and I just started talking about a yeah. lot of rubbish, really. Yeah, and um, the, 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 again, not for everyone, but I think that, I think that the chat's important. The, the number of times that the sort of preamble just, it's not even songwriting chat, it's just a cup of tea and a biscuit chat about, you know, stuff. I think there's some there's something in the subconscious saying to you, actually, we're in a, we're in a, a, a strange place because 
We're brought together to reveal ourselves quite quite clearly reveal ourselves and you know our personalities because if you're not really uh, revealing or emotional in any way you know you're not you're you're, you're going to be you're going to get a little bit of a pretentious song yeah so so I think subconsciously when you're having the preamble chat you're sort of going it's okay to share with this person because we we are here to, to we are here to share so even though it may seem like a normal chat these things can become deep quite quickly and then in an hour or two, lo and behold, potentially turn into a song, you know? Yeah. I think the chat is very important. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about our co-writing process because as a songwriter, the process is something I get asked about in every interview and I always say, you know, it's different every song. And I think our three songs, although we've written more than three songs, but the three songs that we wrote for this album um, all came from very different places. All the worst for me started with a guitar riff. Mm-hmm. Chasing Airplanes came with, started with a, a piano idea that I came to you with. Mm-hmm. And Neptune's Daughter came out of a conversation about the full moon parties in Thailand that I'd <laughs> seen pictures of. Yeah, which I, I just loved the the whole image of that. Yeah, I, yeah. It's the the process is again slightly elusive. I think that I think it's the it's it's your mindset that matters. So you know the, the the process can be all different, but your mindset needs to be good. I think to be a songwriter, first of all, I don't think of this is a, a slightly strange thing to say, but. Really good songwriters are usually like authors or something. They're pretty smart, and and they're 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 sort of they notice and they're empathetic and they pick up. So, so if you have a session where one person has decided this is the idea and they're not really listening to somebody to to the other person there in a collaboration, then it's a bit weird and it's actually. I find the more experienced songwriters are much better at just going, you know, you almost you almost don't know who came up with what idea. It just it just kind of happens. So I do think again the environment is extremely important to 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 write good stuff. Um but I I always um prepare a little bit as well. So this is part of the process that may help folk um up to a point. I I, I sort of think, okay, what it what what's what is what I think instinctively Kerry would like. So I have little, I sometimes go through old like riff ideas or or I sit and think and puddle about with my guitar and tape a few things. But nine times out of ten, I would say, no, seven times out of ten, I would say things just happen in the room. So all those things that I've prepared are just to make it slightly less scary when you first get sit down to write a song because you know that you, you've got something in your armory that you can go well actually yeah what about this but some of the best things just happen in the room I don't actually think that I had that riff or we had that riff for for uh, all the worst for me before we sat down I don't think I don't think it did um and unless you remember differently I think it just just sort of fiddled about and I do remember you vividly saying over there that's good like that, I went okay. <laughs> so I just kept playing it, and that and you know that that was so from a musical, from the musical side. That's kind of how 
things can happen. It's just keeping keeping an open mind and open ears and going, that's good. And you could be very, you could be idly doing something that you're not really meaning. And so it's very important to, obviously, to listen. Absolutely. And lyrically, for me, Chasing Airplanes is a an interesting one to talk about, particularly with you, because I'd had this idea for a while that I wanted to write a song about the fact that I wanted to become a mother and have my own family someday. Mm-hmm. But I had never been brave enough to raise that <laughs> as a topic yeah. for songwriting in sessions with people my own age because, I don't know, there's just a bit of pressure and expectation that I'm an artist, you know, still, I, at the time, still trying to sort of make my mark in my late 20s and shouldn't I be focusing on the music? But with you, as a dad, it just felt... I just felt really comfortable to yeah. talk to you about that. And yeah, it just, it was easy. And and you were able to give me a different perspective from the other side. Yeah. Which I think makes the song really interesting. Yeah, it, it, I, th- I think so. You had the, you definitely had the the uh, chorus sort of idea. You had, even you, you had chords. In the meantime, you kind of, you, you had all that going on, I think. And uh, I, I think I was involved in the verses, certainly. And then the middle eight is, I think, you just going, what about this? And it's really quite, I thought, well, that's odd. I like it. <laughs> um, so um, lyrically, I just, yeah, I, I had certain Im- images in my head. And, of course, you've got to marry the images in your head with, with uh, your collaborator. So, yeah. Um, when I thought of me and and kids, I didn't want to have kids, um, and my wife Sarah kind of knew that one. But when we got together, it was kind of sort of love at first sight. So I just thought, well, I can't. I'm, I'm not going to be with anybody else. That's it. And it was it was one of those sort of uh, blam moments that you don't always get, but that happened. And uh, then you know reasonably early on she's she's not daft so she was reasonably early, early on she said to me of course you know i want kids and i went oh really and 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 she went what about you and i went i'm not really i'm not really that bothered and she said well we're having kids and I, <laughs> uh okay then okay. <laughs> it, was just, it was like it was totally like that but then when they came along you, you i just don't remember ever thinking of life before that really particularly I just couldn't imagine it because I thought I'm I've never even though in the most difficult moments I thought I never want to go back I think I think I remember saying to you that counterintuitively um you know Sarah worked as well it wasn't just that I, I was the only one and I had a home studio so I was I was there as well all the time uh, but I don't remember it ever getting in the way of what we want to do. And I think it's because what we wanted to do was quite ordinary. We wouldn't we weren't want to all of a sudden move to San Francisco or something. We just we were quite happy where we were. And I, but I think I remember saying to you, look, you think, you know, as my dad had said, I said to my dad, what's it like being a dad? You know, before, before uh, Matthew arrived, uh, I remember saying to my dad, what's it like being a dad? Um, he, and he said, um, oh, he said, Gregor, your life's over. And I was like, oh, God. 
And then he went, but a new, better one is about to begin. And that's what it was like for me. So I thought I would impart that positive stuff to you and just say, you think your life's going to be over because you can't conceive of, of, it, of how, it, how it is. And of course, it's very difficult, but it's about, it's about your attitude to it. And I just, you know, like I remember saying to my friend, who's a very successful games guy, um, you know, worldwide. I remember saying to him, I think I need to move to LA or something if I'm going to be doing anything. And he just basically went, why? And I went, well, because, and he said, just do it here. Just make it happen. You know, so in other words, it's not going to happen in an LA sense. Um, uh, and, that, and that is completely fine. And it's actually better because it's almost like um, what's meant for you will not go past you sort of thing. It's, and it's, it's basically what's meant. And so when we were writing that, I think a lot of that chat was coming out, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's been so nice to be able to talk about it since then and find that there are other, you know, female and male artists my age who feel the same way and maybe it's something we can talk about a bit more and not be so shy about. Because, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it is. I, to be, yeah, but that is um, that is definitely some pressure I had felt to kind of think that, no, that's that's too far off to even be considering. But anyway, I've had some really nice opportunities since the release of this album to just be a bit more open about, you know, my life outside of music, which is great because so often in interviews, they just want to hear about the music and there's more to us all than that. And, um, and, and you know, funnily enough, when you take your eye off the, 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 the ball that is meant to be what other people are kicking, you know, or... What, what other people think you should be doing. When you, as soon as you take your eye off that and just do re, as the best work you can, the most professional uh, uh, and use, using your instinct as well, surprising, surprising how well it goes for people, you know? Um, I learned that over the years. I mean, um, it's just, you can't force it. I, I was reading an article today about it, about uh, games companies in, in Dundee and stuff. And uh, Mike, uh, not Microsoft, Amazon and Google were, were, you know, have absolutely piled loads of money and research into creating amazing games, and it just hasn't happened because they've forgotten, or the, or it's unquantifiable that there is a, there is a an ecosystem around being creative. If you say I'm going to write a number one song, I mean it's a, it's quite a good, amb- there's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition, ambition is fantastic, uh, but. If you go if you go with that attitude into writing a song, you'll probably fail. And with Neptune's Daughter, let's talk a bit about that. I mean, we really had, at that time, we had no expectations, like you say, for these songs. And that one particularly was like, let's just write something really fun about this thing that we're sitting reading about, these yeah. moon parties in Thailand that I would love to go to. Yeah. I imagine you did now. See, you see, the, the the myth is now in my head that you were there. I well, I mean, the dream would be to eventually go and film a music video for that song over there. But who knows how many years away that is now. <laughs> but that song kind of changed form a bit between us writing it and it being produced, which was an interesting journey for it. Because truthfully, I don't think in the moment of... Um, recording that track that I was fully aware of how much it was changing I think what the musicians were doing was just so exciting I was just being 
you know, kind of swept along with the good, the good times. <laughs> but the way that we we crafted that song still works so beautifully acoustically and that was an awesome part that we were just figuring out before we started the podcast trying to remember what those chords were very very interesting kind of evolution i think and you know stuff like that does happen quite a lot songs can change and you shouldn't be frightened of that they all kind of have their own journey and interestingly like all the worse for me that really didn't change too much we just worked around what we already had yeah i mean it got it, it essentially was the same it just got better i think you know it just it just uh, the production didn't it didn't blink you know uh, yeah the machine just and you just went down the <clears throat> down the channel and got it done and finally Oh, it must be almost three years after we wrote them. I think it was sort of the the beginning of 2018 to the spring of 2018 that we were doing a lot of that writing. Mm -hmm. And then I recorded in the, the June, July. So, so exciting that finally these songs are out. Yeah, it's amazing. It's exciting for me because I, I got a, a real boost. I remember, I, was, I don't know what it was, but you'd sent me the, you'd sent me the, the mixes um, ages ago, really. And um, I remember thinking, my God, this is not what I expected. It's, you know, it's uh, it's got a tough rock element to it. Now, I'd heard you say in our chats, I want to, you know, I remember you saying to me, I, 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 you know, there's there's quite a large part of me, Gregor, that, that is quite rocky, rocky in a kind of classic sense. Yeah. And, you know, want to sort of, wig out with the guitars and stuff like that. I was like, all right, okay, that's good chat. But, <laughs> you know, you've done it because it came back really quite tough, rocky and bold, you know, is the word that that my friend used for it. And I thought, that's right. Basically, you know, you could be, you could be country pop uh, and, you know, there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of great stuff, but this is just slightly different. I think it's just more you, you know? Yeah, with the help of all my amazing collaborators, including you, my third podcast guest. Gregor, thank you so much. Oh, I've loved it. I've loved, to, I mean, you know, sorry, I've been blethering and talking, but I can't help it. It's <laughs> exciting. Well, thanks, Gregor. Great to see you. Great to see you, Kerry. Oh, no.